Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Which would you choose? Multiple choice here. If you had the choice, Jesus is your teammate. Jesus is your coach. Jesus is your cheerleader, or Jesus is your replacement. Now, it's not lost on me that we're in a sermon series called Replaced, and so all of you know that you should pick option D, but just work with me here for a second. Jesus as your teammate seems kind of like a good idea. In fact, that's kind of how I'd like to think of Jesus a lot. Maybe you do too. I mean, think about that. You have the almighty son of God on your team, setting screens for you, getting rebounds for you. I mean, he hits the game-winning shot most time, but sure, sometimes he sets me up to get to do that. That's pretty cool. Jesus as your coach, not bad, right? Having him in your corner, him in your huddle, guiding, directing you, showing you how to do things, how to, how to play the game of life better, that'd be pretty cool. Jesus, as your cheerleader, I mean, what could be better when you're low, you're feeling down in the dumps to have someone who knows you so personally, so intimately cheering you on, motivating you, inspiring you to do your very best. But Jesus, as your replacement, it maybe doesn't really sound that good. I mean, if I'm playing basketball and a replacement comes in for me, that means maybe I fouled out. Means maybe I'm not really that good at basketball and so someone had to replace me. Means maybe I got tired. I mean, there's no movies that are made about like someone just getting replaced and going and sitting on the bench for the rest of the game. That just doesn't happen. And yet that is the essence of Christianity. That is who Christ is, more than anything, definitely more than a teammate, more than just a coach, more than a mere cheerleader, Christ Jesus is our replacement. And that's good news. It is good that Christ has replaced us. And yeah, maybe it doesn't feel good to have a replacement, but Christianity, well, it, it isn't just about feeling good. It's about being good. As an aside for a moment, think about that. Things that feel good versus things that are actually good for you. And that's what this sermon series is all about. It's about being replaced. It's about Jesus Christ being our replacement. About that being the essence of the gospel message. That Christ Jesus took our place and did for us what we couldn't do on our own. What we've looked at throughout this series and will continue to do so are different different languages or different metaphors that scripture uses to speak that same idea, that Christ was our replacement. He was replaced for us and did the thing that we couldn't do. Last week, we spoke about the language of the courtroom and how Christ Jesus took our place on trial and the verdict of guilt that would have been ours, he took that. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us. So the verdict that God gives us is is one of his righteousness. We're going to look at the language of the battlefield. We're going to look at the language of the exile. We're going to look at different languages that God uses. But this morning, we're going to look at the language of the temple and specifically the language of sacrifice. This is Hebrews chapter 10, which is going to serve as our sermon lesson this morning. Begins this way. The law is only a shadow 
of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased by them. Speaking to God, though those sacrifices and offerings were offered in accordance with the law. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Then the Holy Spirit adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of your God. What do you do with the mad that you feel? Any of you guys know that song? Remember that song? It's a song written by Mr. Rogers that helped young kids understand what to do with their emotions, specifically a very difficult emotion, anger. If you know it, I'll welcome you to sing it along with me. It goes like this. What do you do with the mad that you feel when the mad that you feel, so, when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. It's a good song. It's a great song because it teaches kids a very important lesson. Emotions happen. Negative emotions happen, like anger and things happen that make you mad, but you can do something about it. When you feel those things, you can do something with your anger, with your emotion. It's a good lesson to teach kids. It's a good lesson to teach adults as well. This morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at a emotion, another difficult emotion that it talks about in there. The emotion is guilt. 
And in some ways, it's, it's, it's much more difficult to, to handle or, or wrap our, our arms around, our minds around, than even anger, because, well, guilt is kind of like a smoke signal. It's a smoke signal in emotion, meaning we see guilt, we see that it's there, but oftentimes, well, we don't really pause to understand why it's there, why we feel guilty, what caused that guilt. You know, maybe we say things like, you know, I, I feel guilty that I don't spend more time with my kids because I'm at work. Or maybe we say, you know, I, I feel guilty. I feel guilty that I indulge on all of these sweets and, you know, I don't eat the healthy food that I ought. Maybe we see that our actions or our words offended somebody and we say, ah, I kind of I feel guilty. I kind of feel bad that I did that. But is guilt only that? superficial? Is guilt only that surface level? Well, the way the Bible talks about guilt and Hebrews 10 talks about guilt is that it goes so much deeper than that. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're to remix Mr. Rogers' song. And instead of asking, what do you do with the mad that you feel? We're going to ask, what do you do with the guilt that you feel? What do you do when you feel guilt? See, the Old Testament Israelites, they felt guilt. They were made aware of their guilt very, very often. Our lesson from Leviticus and Hebrews 10 talked about a ceremony that God instituted when he brought his people up out of Egypt and he brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land. It was called the Day of Atonement. What would happen on that day is the high priest would gather two pure male goats before him. He would cleanse himself. And then what we read in Leviticus was that he would sacrifice the first goat. He would sacrifice that goat and sprinkle the blood of that goat on the altar. And there it was. It was before all of Israel. They would see this and they would know that I caused that. I caused that to happen. It was my sins and my guilt. And sin plus guilt has to equal death. And so this innocent goat had to die. Secondly, the priest would put his hands on the second goat and he would confess all the sins of Israel onto the head of that goat and they would send it off into the wilderness, off into the wilderness where they knew they would let it go, where it would either starve to death or be ravaged by wild beasts out in the wilderness and die. And that would happen. That innocent goat would be quarantined with the sins of all of Israel out in the wilderness and die there. Why? For our sinfulness for our uncleanness. And you would be reminded of that. You would be reminded of the guilt and the sins that you committed to make that happen. But here's the problem. Imagine you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old as an Israelite and you celebrate the Day of Atonement. And you celebrate it and let's say you're 40, you, you've seen this happen every year for 40 years now. And the guilt is still there. The guilt still remains. This is what Hebrews 10 was talking about when the writer said, for this reason, adhering to the sacrificial law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It doesn't make them perfect. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. So you still feel guilty. What do you do with the guilt that you feel? And it gets even worse. 
When Israel moved into the promised land and they built the temple, God said, now I want you to do this daily. I want you to do these sacrifices every single day. And so put yourself in the position of an Old Testament believer. Every single day you go to temple, you hear the bleeding sound of lambs and goats and bulls shrieking as priests held them down, took a knife and slaughtered them. You hear all of that. You see all of that. You smell the burning of animals. You see the blood of animals every single day. And you know it. It's because of your sin. It's a reminder of your guilt, the guilt that you have. But what do you do with it? It's still there because again, the Hebrew writer said day after day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So what do you do with the guilt that you feel? Well, let me ask you that. (laughs) What do you do with it right now? Because we don't do animal sacrifices here, but you still have guilt. So what do you do with it? Well, typically there are four things that people do with guilt. Here's the first one. You feel it. You have guilt. Some of you know that full well. You're here this morning. You're good. I'm glad. And you're asking yourself, I want to know. (laughs) I want to know what you do with guilt because I have it. You said that word. You said that word that hurt your spouse, that hurt your your kids or, or someone you work with. And you wish you could take it back, but you can't. And the only thing that's there is guilt. Or you know, you do that thing and no one else knows that you do that thing, but God does. And you wish you didn't keep doing that thing, but you do. And so there's guilt and you feel it. You feel it sitting on your chest like a hundred pound weight. Sometimes people just feel it. They just feel guilt and they don't know what to do with it. Other times, there's this. People numb themselves to guilt. In the same way that you get used to and and justify things happening in life, well, you get used to guilt. You hear God's word say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you numb yourself to it. Say, yeah, (laughs) no one's perfect though. I'm not perfect. You hear God's word say things like what we just read at the end of Hebrews chapter 10 that says, don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another to get together, to hear my word. All the more, all the more, encourage one another. Say, yeah, but I'm tired. I got to work. Got to put food on the table. Someone's got to do it, right? And you numb yourself to it. You numb yourself to the guilt that you feel because let's be honest, no one wants to feel guilt. Or maybe you shift it. You shift guilt. You take guilt that you know you have because you joined in and doing something wrong, but you shift it. You say, yeah, I'm guilty, but, but they started it. Or you know it's wrong to gossip. You know you shouldn't say things about people, but you say, yeah, but they had it coming. Or, but it was true. It was true, the thing I said. And so you shift your guilt. Here's the fourth. What do you do with the guilt that you feel? Some of you counteract it. You, you try to balance out the scales. You try to neutralize the guilt. And how do we do that? Well, perhaps the most 
prevalent way, proficient way that human beings counteract guilt is with sacrifice. We sacrifice things in order to think that this atones or makes up for our sin and it counteracts the guilt that we have. We do bad things and we know that if we make up for it, well, then we won't feel so bad and God will be happy with us. We do this all the time, you and me both. We say we love God more than anything else in our lives. And yet, you spent more time this last week, 10 more times than looking at God's word. Well, you spent those times scrolling and looking at your phone. And so to be honest, you don't love God more than anything in your life. You love your phone more than you love God. And you feel guilty. You feel guilt for this and you say, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice chocolate during Lent. That way, God knows how much I love him and how much I'm willing to give up so that he sees the guilt that I have in my life, the things that, yeah, I know that I do wrong, but hey, we're good. You sacrifice things or, or maybe you sacrifice yourself. You know that your words, your actions really did hurt somebody. And so you sacrifice yourself. You say, yep, here I am. I'm accepting the consequences for this. I'm accepting the broken relationship. I'm dealing with that stress. I'm dealing with that, with that brokenness. I'll take that. I'll suffer because of that. I'll sacrifice, you know, my feelings and, and my desires for that. And see me, God, see how this works. We sacrifice things. We sacrifice ourself. You also sacrifice your time. You know that God's word says you should give offerings, but you give next to nothing for an offering. And so you say, yeah, but I sacrifice all my time for my family and my faith family. I sacrifice all this time for my community. And God, you see this, you know this. And so we're good, right? It's what we do with our guilt. Most often, we either take our guilt and we don't like to just feel it, and so either we numb ourselves to it, we shift it away from ourselves, or we counteract it. But that's not good. Counteracting guilt, handling guilt in that way, is not something that is good. Oh, sure, it could look good. I am talking about good things here, talking about giving up something for Lent. That can be a good thing. Sacrificing your time can be a good thing. But look at what God's word says about good things done for the wrong reason. He says this. This is Christ referencing something that God said. He said, sacrificing and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings— you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. God doesn't need our sacrifices. God doesn't need our offerings, even the good things that we do. Good things done for a godless reason aren't good. And the reason why? Hebrews tells us day after day, put your name in here. Matt stands and performs his righteous duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. The reason why they don't work? They can never take away sin. And so we're locked in this cycle of more sins and more guilt because our sacrifices don't remove sin. Otherwise, would they not stop being offered? Would we not stop feeling guilty for our sins? But we keep doing it. We keep being locked in the cycle. And the fact that we offer sacrifices, just like the fact that Old Testament Israel offered sacrifices, it's a reminder that you sin. It's a reminder that I sin. Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible 
for the blood and the bowls of goats to take away sin. It's impossible for bloods and bowls of goats to take away sin. And it's impossible for the blood, sweat, and tears of people to take away sin. You and I can't do it. So, guilt's still there. What do you do with it? What do you do with the guilt that you feel? Because you have to do something with it. You have to confront it in some way. And it is bad news if we are going to numb it, shift it, or try to counteract it with our sacrifices. So what do you do? Anything else is bad news. But here's some good news. Hebrews 10.10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you feel guilt? Everyone does. And whether or not you feel it because you feel it and you're upfront about it, or whether or not you're feeling guilty right now because you know you're guilty of shifting it, numbing it, or trying to counteract it, stop and let this sit on you. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And let me highlight that. His one sacrifice covered all of our sins and all of our sacrifices. Look at this. It is a, it is a petty act to try to counterbalance the guilt we have in such a way where God is going to take care of us. But once and for all, God offered a sacrifice that did that, that balanced the scales, that brought us and made us right with him. When this priest, and it's talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He did it once. He offered one sacrifice on the altar of the cross and he did it for all sins. He did it for all of the sins that you feel guilty for and he did it once for all sins of all times. Christ Jesus took that. On the cross, we always talk about him taking away our sins. He also took away the guilt that you have on the cross. He left it buried in a tomb when he rose again. He removed the guilt of your sins. So what do you do with it? because you still feel it. What do you do with the guilt that you feel? Confess it. Confess that you have it. Confess that you feel it. And confessing the fact that you have guilt is not the same as feeling your guilt, of wallowing in your guilt and staying in your guilt. Because when you confess the fact that I have guilt, what you're saying is, I have sinned. I have sinned and I feel guilty. But the truth is, I know that I have one. I have one high priest, great high priest, who offered a sacrifice for me, who offered the sacrifice of, get this, his body, the body of Jesus Christ, and he did it once for all. And stay there. Stay right there with your guilt. Leave your guilt at the cross because that is where Christ left it. And before we leave the cross, let me just say a thing about it. There was a sacrifice. There was a sacrifice that needed to be made because when there's sin and there's guilt, well, there needs to be death. And so there was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of his body. And that's good news for us. That's really, really good news for us as Christians that Christ replaced us. He replaced us and all of the sacrifices that we try to make and all of the sins that we've committed and all of the guilt that we feel, he replaced all of that. But before we move on from that, know that it took a sacrifice. It took Christ Jesus, born God, yet man, and it took him, the innocent, dying. It took whips 
ripping into his back and and ripping apart veins and flesh. It took Roman soldiers coming to him, beating him, belittling him. It took a Roman device of torture and execution on which other men and women had bled and died and spilled other uh, bodily fluids, Jesus' broken back being pressed into that. It took him being lifted up on the cross, enduring shame, wearing almost nothing or nothing. It took blood. It took nails being driven into his hands and his feet. And it took a death. That is what it took. That is what it took to bring about your guiltlessness. It took that. It took that brutality, but that brutality is outdone by the brilliance of God's love on the cross. There was a sacrifice. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever, don't ever pretend that there wasn't. There was a sacrifice, and it was for you. It was Christ Jesus for you, doing all of that for you, and now look what it means for you. It means that you were made holy. It means that you are his. It means that Christ Jesus died for you and now he sees you as holy. Oftentimes we move past all the nastiness of the cross and the sacrifice because what we want is a neat and a clean and a family-friendly version of our Christianity. But the reality is we are not neat and clean and family-friendly in the things that we do, in the guilt that we have. And yet it is on the cross that he brings us into his family. He makes us holy. And more than that, he makes you perfect. Do you feel dirty? Do you feel unclean because of things that you've done? Stop. He has made you holy. He has made you perfect by one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And he doesn't just stop there. He adds their sin and their lawless acts. I will remember them no more. It doesn't matter what you did that you feel guilty for. God remembers it no more. I mean, it's, it's paradoxical and, and laughable, really. We work trying to counterbalance the guilt that we feel, trying to, trying to sacrifice for God, and we do it. Why? Also, that we can have a, just a little glass of his grace. And yet, what does he do? <laughs> he dumps the ocean of his grace on you. <laughs> we work and we work and we work and we try and we try and try to counterbalance the guilt that we have in our lives just for a little dropper, just for a little dropper of his righteousness. And he holds us under the waterfall of his love and his righteousness. And he gives us all of these things. Where these have been forgiven. Your sins, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It is not necessary for you to do a thing because of your sins. You have been forgiven. You are not punished for this anymore. You're not now and you won't be in eternity. So what do you do? What do you do with the guilt that you have? I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a guy, but I think it's just because I'm a human being. But I like to do things, and I like to fix things when they go wrong. (laughs) If I can draw on the analogy that we started the sermon with, the idea of a basketball game, I get a thrill. I get a thrill out of coach calling a timeout, bringing me in, giving me another chance, even though I've airballed every single shot that I've took. I like the idea of the fans, the cheerleaders, pepping it up, going crazy because, hey, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hit the game winner. (laughs) I like that idea. 
I like that idea that I can now do something with the guilt that I have. <laughs> can I show you one of my favorite passages? <laughs> one of my favorite sections from Romans chapter 10 is this. <laughs> but when the, this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. <laughs> he sat down. You don't sit down until you're done. <laughs> you don't sit down until the game's over. I don't know. So often I, I base my value, my worth on how I play the game, how I play the game of life. And maybe, maybe you do too. And if I get replaced, if I get told I have to sit on the bench and well, that devalues me, that devalues the things that I do. And so I don't want to get replaced. I don't want to have that. <laughs> but Jesus is sitting down. <laughs> He's, he's sat down. The game's over. It would be silly. It would be ridiculous to go out there and keep trying to keep playing. It's finished. Hear him cry. It's over. And now it's never felt so good <laughs> to be replaced, to sit on the bench <laughs> because I'm sitting next to my savior. I've never got so much joy. I've never got so much worth from being there, from being seated next to the one who is seated at the right hand of God. The story is told of a young, uh, young man, comparatively. He was 55. His only living relative was an 80-year-old Irish man. Uh, and so to celebrate his birthday, his 80th birthday, the nephew was going to fly to Ireland and spend the day, the special day, with him. The 80-year-old man, the 80-year-old uncle, didn't want to do anything crazy for his birthday, but he wanted one thing. He wanted to wake up and watch the sunrise. And so, and so that morning, they got up in darkness, in utter silence, and they got dressed. Together, they walked out, and they stood at the edge of the shore, and they watched as the sun came up, and they stood there, staring at the sun, just watching. And just like that, the old man, the eight-year-old uncle, bolted like he was being chased, and the nephew turned and, and wondered why he had ran off. And it didn't take long for him to catch up to him. And he asked him, he asked him as he looked at him, grinning ear from ear, why are you so happy? Can you tell me? And the uncle said, yes, I am happy because Miaba is very fond of me. So often at this point in the sermon, what I do is I, is I, is I tell you, this is what God's word tells you what to do. <laughs> it, it tells you to do this or, or, or stop doing that. But Hebrews chapter 10 and, and really all of God's word says, don't do anything. Just be happy. <laughs> Just stop and stare that your father is very happy with you. So often <laughs> we say, yeah, I know God loves me and he has to love me theologically but does he like me? Know this, he likes you and he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son for you to be sacrificed for you so that you might be replaced. You might be replaced and not have to endure the cross, the suffering, the pain, but you can be with him forever. Amen. Amen. 